0: Hello, hello, hello and welcome to another episode of Burley Fisher's Isolation Station. I am Daniel P. Fuller, your host, and I'm joined yet again by the infatigable Samuel Fisher. Sam, how are you doing?
1: I'm I'm good, I'm good, yeah. Just had my morning coffee, feeling slightly less fatigued. You've been a
0: busy boy, haven't you?
1: I have, yeah. Um, we uh, did house clearance yesterday. Yeah. And found some absolutely fascinating books. Always a very kind of um, uh, interesting and sad thing to go and see someone's life in their books.
0: It is, isn't yeah. it? It's always quite touching. I think. I don't know. You see, you know, when you when you can see like little love notes and stuff written in the margins from like the thirties and stuff. It's um, it can be quite poignant sometimes.
1: Definitely, I think this this kind of uh, multiple generations as well in this house. Kind of, they would emigrated from Austria. Um, and the grandfather had been a biologist, there's all these biology books. Um, yeah, and grandmother had been a librarian. And yeah, the, the, book, the books were very organized, which is always <laughs> uh, <laughs> helpful to a bookseller. Um, but yeah, we found some fascinating stuff. Some, you know, a, a Virginia Woolf first with a Vanessa Bell dust wrapper. It's really, um, I'm a massive Virginia Woolf fan and Vanessa Bell fan, so that those are always a pleasure to
0: find. Already gone, unfortunately. It was snapped up within minutes. Yeah. Almost within seconds.
1: Yeah. Um, quite literally within minutes. I was talking, we were talking about it and someone overheard and immediately bought it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so come
0: and, if, if you're into genealogy of English kings, uh, get yourself down to the shop before uh, it flies off the shelf. <laughs> I did actually have
1: um, someone, some, one of the weirdest requests I ever had was someone came, popped, like, popped their head around the door and was like, all right, mate, you got any books on heraldry? And I was like, <laughs> heraldry?
0: <laughs> no, but
1: I didn't. But now I have one of the definitive books on genealogy and heraldry published in the yeah. 1700s by Stanford. So um, if you're listening, um, Strange Man from five years ago, <laughs> come see us. Um, um, but that's not all, is it, Sam? That's not all. We also launched yesterday Lansing Records. Um, yeah. Uh, so we're raising money for our debut release, which is going to be uh, and our very own Anthony Hurley's uh, debut album, Quiet Rooms. And within 24 hours, we've almost hit our target. So um, it's amazing. Anybody who contributes <laughs> listening to this, um, then I just want to say thanks very much because uh, yeah, yeah, it's a very sure, exciting thanks. project. And uh, yeah, actually, uh, as we push on, we might be able to fund a few more exciting projects. Yeah. yeah.
0: One of the lovely things about working in a bookshop with so many creative people. is is seeing all these uh, projects that people put so much like time and blood and sweat and tears in coming to fruition, and it's it's always like a really kind of nice, kind of familial kind of sense of pride almost that you feel, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, really lovely moment. Uh, it's, this album is going a combination of I don't know ten years yeah. for, for Anthony, I think. Yeah. So yeah, it's really uh, great to be able to to work to work together on it. Yeah. Really um really... intertwining our lives in manifold <laughs> uh, complicated ways
0: <laughs> ever more complicated <laughs> yeah um so we have a slightly late uh may Indie the fiction subscription podcast today. yeah
1: if you're listening to this from the past uh then will be right on time but if you are listening to it in the present day it is late so i was here talking to uh ida marie huda uh if I pronounce that correctly, probably not, <laughs> um, author, author of adorable, uh, which, uh, published by lolly editions last month, which was our, uh, Indie fiction pick, yeah. May. um, and adorable it's a, it's a beguiling mix of, uh, fiction and critical writing, which follows a woman who, um, has just given birth to her first child around the time of her father's death. Um, it's a teeming exploration of the body in birth and in death, in grief and in recovery. Looking inward at m- microbial time as a way of understanding generational experience, also looking outward with analyses of such varied cultural artifacts as Marguerite Duras films alongside *True Detective*, mm. ways of understanding love and loss. The the bit about *True Detective*, which is kind of like an erotics of the binge watch, is a <laughs> highlight. I really enjoyed that part. But it's a it's a wildly inventive and varied uh, book, and it's well worth a read. So, yeah, well, really, I, I had I don't know, it's it's a really brilliant. And, Really strange
0: book.
1: <laughs> <So> <laughs> we had a great conversation because, um,
0: yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, on that note, I'll pass over to you guys.
1: Hi, Ida. Thanks very much for joining us on uh, Burley Fisher's Isolation Station. How are you doing today?
2: Yeah, really well. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for inviting me.
1: It's my pleasure. And it was a very great pleasure to read your book. Adorable. um which yeah. uh published by lolly and which is our indie subscription pick of the month yeah it's a really fascinating book uh but before i just start blathering on, on about it for ages i thought i would just open the discussion by asking you how did it come about how, how did you come to write it
2: yeah yeah that i mean that's kind of like a big question though but
1: um <laughs> <laughs> an, easy <one.
2: laughs> yeah, yeah, an easy one yeah i mean um yeah, I was just sort of writing something about this for, for Lolly's blog. And so I was thinking through how it, how I started writing it. And I think, you know, it has these like two major strands in it, sort of like, or it has like two sort of very different parts, at least, or it has four parts, but it has two bigger parts where one is like more um, an i narrated part, like an essayistic um, part of the book that's called the death essay. And the other part is sort of uh, more like fragmented, Uh, more lyrical, um, shorter passages about, like, a family, uh, um, uh, yeah, a mother and a father and a child. And I think uh, what happened was that I was writing these, like, um, short fragments about, uh, very sort of essayistic fragments about death and my father's death, inspired by experiencing his death uh, a year before. And uh, at the same time, I was sort of, you know, like, dealing with having a little child that was sort of... uh, all over and I started writing these sort of um, fragments about that too Um, and it all sort of felt very like material and had a lot of parallels a lot of sort of motifs that were sort of clashing and interweaving so I started combining these two different modes of writing um, after a while of working with them in sort of uh, you know like isolatedly and then you know, at some point, it started becoming a book, but I, I'm not sure when <laughs> and how. Um, but it kind of started sort of interweaving and some of these ideas about materiality, and uh, I suppose um, you know, um, it has a bit, big theme about like gut gut bacteria and the human microbiome and the yeah. sort of like touch and the materiality of of filth and and ugliness and dirt dirt and decay and death it kind of like was kind of slowly weaving together and becoming just a quite still quite two different texts i think but still sort of like having a lot of motives in common in an interesting way
1: yeah so, definitely i mean that's that uh, that's one of the things i wanted to ask you about was the structure because I, th- I think that um that's one of the kind of as, as a reading experience one of the most interesting things because um yeah. Uh, before the podcast, I was trying to think about how to describe it, and it really is kind of about birth, death, and everything everything in between. And <laughs> I think the way that you the the birth and death are so starkly um, contrasted, but also kind of separated out by the structure, really mm-hmm. allows for the kind of yeah some of the more um, theoretical and complex thinking to mm-hmm. um, kind of happen associatively. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I wondered. In terms of the third-person sections, which are more about uh, the young child and the relationship of the parents um, to mm-hmm. their young child, uh, and then the, the first-person section, mm-hmm. wh- were, you, were you writing them in parallel, or did you did, did one come first and the another come later? Or?
2: Yeah, it's a good, good question. I was trying to think back, because it's been a while since I, I wrote it. <laughs> it's 21 now, and I think it was sort of written around 15, 16 finished then. So I was trying to remember simply how I wrote it. And I think I think it started out like being separated, um separate parts. And I think I think you can tell because the first part of it is sort of very associative and kind of jumps with a sort of fast energy. Um almost like um kind of like eager or sort of uh, urgent for for kind of grasping the life constantly, even if it's like gross and filthy and it's about sort of also has associations to something morbid or decaying it's still sort of constantly like being driven forward it's these like short sentences and like very associative um, kind of also sometimes comical uh, fragments and short um, passages like one two three pages and it skips to a new space a new scene and I think definitely the kind of like life driving force in that part. I- I'm quite sure I wrote that in a specific mood. And then the other part came sort of at another point, but I remember working on both parts at the same time. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so at some point they kind of, it kind of put them together, but was not quite sure if they still fit together, I think. Um,
1: yeah. I, lo- I thought the last section was the way it was a kind of synthesis. And I love the way that, um, the first person, uh, part of the the book kind of bleeds into, uh, well, at least it does as a, as a reading experience. I don't know whether that was deliberate when you were writing it, but because of, um, how tied up, uh, the thinking about death is with birth, um, when it comes to, yeah, I thought that was really brilliant. Um, and I wondered how, how, whether, how that come about.
2: (laughs) You, You mean the very last part, right? Where they're like in the underworld. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that wrote that as the last as the last part actually. Um, yeah. Because I was sort of um I think after writing the the death essay, the first person, person narrated the part, there was also a lot of material that kind of got drawn into the last part, like um maybe maybe more realistic things about um I mean the la- the very last part has some more, more um kind of like realistically described sections about the child, for example. Um about her conversations and things like that kind of dwells more on like, certain situations than the very first part does. That's very like fast-paced, I think. Um, and I think there was, um, yeah, language and sort of like a, a mood that was taken from that death essay into the very last part, kind of combining everything and sort of this bigger reflection, also a climactic thing where the characters from the first part, they kind of like live in this... Normal living room setting, and they like sort of fall down or slide down under their floorboards and kind of go into the underworld that's still like realistic but is sort of affected or or contain uh, uh, um, infected by by the death as they mood, uh, so it kind of all comes together in that in that sequence, I think.
1: Um, that's a beautiful way way yeah. of putting it. I think um yeah, going back to the first bit. Um first part of the book, I wanted to talk about filth because uh, I feel like the first part of the book is absolutely teeming in a totally glorious way with um, bacteria yeah. and thinking about bacteria and what that means um, okay. within the context of connection um, and yeah, I wondered how you came upon um, kind of the microbiome and how that got into the right into the writing
2: yeah, yeah, good. Um... Um at the time when I was uh writing, I was doing some collaborations with the um uh, met the medical messiah here in Copenhagen, like which is like a medical museum. Um and there was they were having some research, a big research project about the, the human microbiome. And I was sort of starting to read more like science literature. I think I just thought like I was always like really fascinated with, with the sort of like most like the, the smallest components of of the human body and kind of trying to take like every aspect of like human body and consciousness like seriously and sort of not having like necessarily any hierarchies between you know like the sort of a, a psychological existential way of describing a human and then the kind of like mechanics of a human and I think discovering the 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 theory and a the kind of popular theory about Got bacteria was sort of so enticing um, because it was still so organic and then so invisible and eerie and kind of abstract um and it had so many like you know there was so much to say about like communities outside of one's body and inside of one's body um that was just sort of ungraspable um but also made made me feel as a human like totally insignificant at the same time as sort of um Um, you know like kind of majestic and the the fact that I carry all of these like bacteria in me was kind of like amazing but also made me feel absolutely superfluous in the world Um, yeah how these bacteria sort of have lived forever and will live on and like don't care about humans at all (laughs) so yeah um, there was something kind of exciting about that I think
1: yeah I think and also it was incredibly um, helpful to read that Given what we've just gone through over the last twelve months, that sense of perspective in terms okay. of uh a macro yeah. biological um timescale. Cause I think often we're encouraged to think about um geological timescales in terms of um in terms of the environment, but that mm-hmm. often isn't necessarily that helpful uh in terms of thinking through your own um effect on mm-hmm. on the environment perhaps, but perhaps mm-hmm. looking like at the huge diversity inside your body
2: <laughs> yeah exactly by the way
1: of grasping it
2: yeah it's a bit yeah. the, 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 the the major the grand sweeping statements of our time like you know responsibility and consciousness about you know the global death and, you know it's kind of like you kind of got to zoom in sometimes and be like what's actually going on in this body what is this body really made up
0: okay.
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah well,
1: talking of um, geological time and uh, your relationship to the book, we were talking before the, uh, the podcast about how you wrote it in 2015. And and obviously yeah. now I'm reading it a double remove because I read it in translation. Um, how do you feel uh, in relation to the, the book? And how was it, how was it reading it again uh, in English? Um, how did you find that?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, of course, it's just, um, I think, always a really, like... <laughs> strange and alien experience to read one's own writing um, after you've written it and published it and after there's been a bit of a distance to it I'm passing even if it was in Danish I, I would still feel distanced from it and mystified by the fact that I've written it I think and then reading it in a different language even though I feel familiar with English I still don't really I mean I even read some of the um, adjectives in the book and I'm like oh what does that mean <laughs> like I forget because yeah. you know because my English isn't that fluent so so I'll still be surprised when I read it and feel kind of weirdly disconnected from it but I'm also able to see what it is reading it in a different language
1: um yes yeah, it's, it's interesting that you you say that because I, I I felt reading it even in English that um so much um uh of the ideas in the death essays were kind of in the language in the sense that, um you were thinking through the language that we have for for death and for grieving and how, did you feel that reading it in english gave you a different sense of those ideas or a clearer sense of those ideas because I, I feel like your translator did a fantastic job so <laughs> i just kind of wanted to give a shout out as well
2: <laughs> yes absolutely definitely like wonderful shout out like sorry. Helber has been a really wonderful translator and he's worked so hard to get the language precise and also getting all the very idiosyncratic um, kind of sentences sort of translated into something that makes sense in English. Um, but I think you're right. Like, you know, I think for me, reading it uh, in English, definitely, as I said before, another layer of distance um, to the text and it's like one step further away from from me. So of course I could, maybe read it with a more, more cold eye and be like oh I see <laughs> I see what I meant back then um but also another thing that was kind of fascinating you know it's I I, I write at some point about like how not any like word is sort of um uh, makes enough sense when you talk about death like not even the word like loving or the word cold like nothing really like is enough To talk about corpse or dead body um, or death in any way. Like, there's always something lacking. And and why the text is also using a lot of, like, for example, like family puns or jokes or like a lot of sort of, for me, very intimate language from my own, like, family and childhood and world. And why I wanted to fill the text with a lot of very sort of, yeah, deliberately idiosyncratic phrases or song texts or things that were personal, intimate for me. To sort of just in another, in another movement through the book, get a sense of like, you know, um, death and what death means for me in this personal space, um, or for the narrator in the text, of course. Um, and I think seeing that in translation, like jokes translated into English, they, they, they lose the sense of meaning. <laughs> they are not mine anymore, but they still sort of work as puns or jokes or family, you know. Um, sayings um, but they could belong to someone else's family too and I felt a little bit of uh, you know a release from that I felt like that was a really wonderful thing to see that it it works in another language like it it works outside of my own little bubble Um, yeah that was kind of fascinating and and interesting
1: yeah well that that kind of in terms of family communication and um, connection and kind of Another thing that I wanted to talk about was the telephone and how that kind of the death essays is structured around these telephone calls, and the kind of technology of the telephone informs uh, communication. I wondered, because yeah. again, it, it stands kind of in opposition to the first part, which is very internal and intimate. Mm. Um, and I wondered how you landed on the telephone as as the kind of mode of technology that you wanted to structure the essays around and what it meant.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always liked to work with technology in, in my writing in different ways. Whether it's been like a sort of uh, um, oil drilling technology or electricity or other things, but I've always liked that the, the technological object is both sort of very physical. And the telephone really still feels like that to me. Um, so it's still like an object you can you can touch or hold. It's like a touch touch uh, quality, and then. When I started writing, I mean, it was also simply very, very straightforward. Like it was like triggered by the fact that I got a phone call myself from my brother telling me that my father had died, our father had died, and I was starting to write about that. And then it became um, the starting point for this essay too, um, where, you know, the the narrator picks up the phone and, and hears this voice and, it's sort of like the whole narrative of of death, but it's both really, really intensely physical and really immaterial. And it's it's so simple. It was just such a like wonderful metaphor for like, trying to understand loss, trying to understand, you know, absence and death. Um, so I, I just wanted to go from there. And it was also interesting because I had been writing before of the telephone, and I kind of felt it was sort of like. I kind of used that up. I didn't really have more to say about it. But then I think sometimes when you're in a, like an intense situation, like you kind of reach out for what's available. And I think that was an available like both object metaphor and um, kind of image in so many ways that it just felt kind of perfect to sort of return to it. And it also had a little bit of a weird nostalgia and maybe also like longing and even morbidity connected to it in that sense that it was like it was it was placed in the past for me as a past interest um and kind of like resurrected both the voices and then and the phone itself as an object and as a metaphor so it became sort of like both super simple and really really complicated that <laughs> was kind of perfect for writing about something kind of complicated like that and lots
1: um. I really love some of the language that you used around, I mean, I thought one of the most poignant moments in the book was where you were describing how your dad was often not the one on the phone um, and you described the kind of boiled lobster ear of, uh, the, of, of the phone call, you know, of people who like to be on the phone and are on the phone a long time and how, um, you know, it, your dad didn't go looking for it. I just thought, yes, it's, 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 some of the language that emerges from it is so beautiful. Um, yeah. yeah,
2: there's a lot of potential in that, like the phone is object and yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I also wanted to talk about not, the, the. there are so many kind of cultural references in the death essays that you weave together that are kind of from all over the place, some which refers to the telephone. So you write really brilliantly about um, the Lady Gaga and Beyonce video and its yeah. kind of place in the path. And then use that as a way of talking about how how grieving and death affects time. Um, mm-hmm. But also Jura um, is a very important um yeah, films of Dura is very very important in your thinking about grief and yeah. did, were, were these kind of just as you were saying with the telephone were these kind of references that were just available to you and kind of emerged as you were doing the thinking or how did you approach that?
2: Um, yeah some of them and some were some were emerging and were old interests and some were new interests or so new references for sure like Dura I've been really interested in her work like many years so I think it was kind of just sort of really fit really well with like um, what the text had started to be doing already which was sort of like create a lot of very image rich themes and uh, then also talking about voice and sound Um and kind of the yeah I guess sort of conflicts there and I think in, in Duras you have this, this conflict in her work that's like the, this battle or or what can you say, kind of um, argument between between the different media, between the voice and the image and the text, they kind of sort of like obliterate each other in different ways. And at the end, it's sort of like she wants to kill off the image. She kills off the, the novel at first, then she kills off her own films. And at the end, she just has the sound, the idea of the sound, so something that's left in the kind of black image. Um, and... I've always been fascinated with that sort of very dramatic, <laughs> melodramatic gesture, um, which is of course just sort of a step on the way to maybe resurrecting again, the novel and the text, and then the image again, um, like movements through the different media. It's like kind of also matched a way I wanted the text to move through like different emotional states. Like I want to sort of um, exercise the memory of my father or the narrator wants to exercise maybe whatever the family means or the um the claustrophobia of death you know like let's get onto something new but then everything that's from the past keeps sort of like catching up after all um and there's no way in which the text can really close off anything um like sound keeps emanating from all sides um memories keep coming up and popping up at unexpected places, maybe in the text, and I wanted it to have that feeling of, like, oh, God, now I'm back in my teenage room, like, oh, God, now I'm, now I'm here with my, my, with my mother and my brother, you know, like, you know, um, you know, now I'm close to people, now I'm not close to them, you know, have this feeling of you can't really control, um, you know, how, how images and memories work in the mind, and you also can't quite distance yourself from death or loss or having any kind of rigid idea of how to relate to something quite monumental that happens in your life. Um, and, I, and I just, yeah, yeah, I think I felt like someone like Duras, you really sort of uh, was kind of just a really efficient um, artist to bring in in that sense that she sort of dramatizes this in such an explicit way. And you can kind of take her art and be like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, let's kill this off oh you know it's so it's so over the top in a way that i also like my text to have a feeling of it's almost too much
1: i thought it was a great parallel to the kind of micro um biome uh abundance in the first part in the sense that everything is kind of imminent in itself uh, in itself in a sense it's kind of circular things metabolizing themselves and reappearing within the versions that emerge from the metabolized self. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And the way that those things, which I would never possibly have been able to imagine in contact, kind of Jura and um and, you know, shit.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I also thought it was special. pretty powerful.
2: <laughs> Fun to have like the 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 the, giraffe, the queen touch some shit so in the book.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that leads me on to my next question, which is uh, the line at the end of the death essays, uh, which is the language of the intestines is just more frank. And uh, I like the way that the book kind of always returns to the body, um, even when you're kind of uh, the writing kind of uh, evokes technology or inorganic things. Is that something that uh, is, is present in in your other writing? Is it something that you return to, or is it that something that's specific to this book?
2: um no it's definitely something I, I return to yeah like kind of um I, I think i've always been writing in a way where like uh, very kind of mechanistic um kind of uh, bodies like kind of uh, um what can you say sort of sort of very artificial or maybe anti psychological bodies kind of suddenly become super organic and you can have yeah like uh, a shift from one thing to the other all the time it's kind of confused states of of the, the bodily um, and i think yeah, I, th- I think in my in my recent most recent book i also have yeah, a, a very physical take on on the world um and in other of my works we also i also have a lot of like bodies that leak all the time and kind of a very like liquidy um and um, kind of merge with each other in different ways um but it always happens through some kind of system too some mechanics too there's always an element of that they're not like just organic um as you say like you know i move through this like idea of the telephone and the technological and then i kind of get back body in different ways um so yeah i kind of i think you know kind of it moves very sort of like abstractedly away from every everything that's organic, but it kind of always ends with the very basic organic, I think. Um, mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah.
1: Well, I think yeah. that's a great place to end the discussion And uh, on the organic. Um, and a question that I, I have to ask um, as a bookseller, if there were three books that you could that you would recommend to read alongside your book or books that were particularly important when you were, when you were writing it, which which I realise is a difficult question for me to ask, considering it's all six years old now. Um, <laughs> yeah. What would those be?
2: <laughs> oh yeah. That's a, uh, that's a really good question. I mean, always read something by Dura, maybe her, <laughs> film, her film essays, for example, I was reading that at, at the time. Um, Green Eyes, I think it's called, Duress Film Essays. Um it's a really good book. Um inspired that inspired this book. Um, what else? I mean, I was also reading um The Argonauts, Maggie Nelson for the for the essay, of course. Um, mm. um a book that might be oldie that I remember looking to was uh, uh Theresa Chas Dicty, if you know that one. Um, old, I old don't. Uh, which is a very also kind of conceptual fragmented uh, poetry book. I also mentioned, of course, in adorable the uh, the Faulkner, As I Lay Dying. Yeah. Um. So that's also that's been inspiring because the corpse starts babbling <laughs> in that <laughs> book. Um. And then I was also reading some, um. Some theory more. I was reading some uh, Rosie Braidotti, the Post-Human, for example. because um, she talks a lot about uh yeah, the the necropolitical and like categories of life and death. Um and I also quote from a couple places.
1: Um, well that's brilliant. I think you know, you've got a career as a bookseller, that's five recommendations off the back <laughs> of one book. Uh, oh, yeah. if you ever want to <laughs> take a sidestep. Um well, thanks so much for joining us today, Ida. And um, yeah, I can't recommend this book highly enough. It's it's a great tonic and uh, for yeah for the current moment. So thank yeah. you very much.
2: Thank you so much for your good questions. And uh, yeah, nice to talk to you.
1: Nice to talk to you.
2: Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.
0: Okay, thank you so much to Isa for generously giving her time. And thank you to Sam. Sam, I feel like you're taking a lot of the weight of these interviews lately. So, yeah, thanks for being a trooper. Oh, it's, it's my absolute pleasure. She's so articulate, isn't she? She's incredibly... I love how she's got that classic European self-deprecation, which is like, oh, I'm not fluent. And then <laughs> proceeds to like yeah, exactly. engage in high-flung literary analysis. Um, <laughs> 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 really, yeah. Really great conversation. Really brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so that's kind of almost all we've got time for. I just wanted to sort of remind people again, Lantern Records Kickstarter for Anthony Hurley's Quiet Rooms. Check us out on socials. Yeah, we're running, running all this, running all this month. So. Um... You've got no excuse. <laughs> You've got two weeks. <laughs>
1: Support Anthony.
0: We've got some amazing reward tiers as well. We've got uh, T shirts, uh vinyl LPs, uh, limited edition prints from can Stories, a great friend of the shop, an amazing artist. Um so yeah, get on that Kickstarter and give, give, give. Um Yeah. Well, what else is uh, What have you been up to, Sam? Not too much apart from books. Then? Uh well, I don't know, just books, 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 really. Yeah. How about you? I've been walking around in the night. <laughs> walking around in the night. Yeah. Well, tell us more about that. Uh, well, <laughs> last, well, yesterday evening, in fact, uh, me and my housemate were both kind of like quite uh, restless at about ten o'clock, and we just kind of walked. Out into the night in East London, and sort of just sort of wandered around, sort of observing the kind of decaying embers of the nightlife. Uh, but we ended up in Smithfield's meat market at three in the morning, purchasing <laughs> kilograms and kilograms of meat. Uh, <laughs> apologies to any vegetarians who are listening. Um, content warning. Content warning. carnivores. Bacon. Bacon geography. <laughs> the new.
1: It's the new old psychogeography. <laughs> How much bacon did you buy? I bought two kilos. (laughs) Two two kilos of bacon? Listeners, uh, this is a cry from help. This is a cry from hell from Dan Fuller. (laughs) I'm concerned after his health and his, the choices that he's making.
0: (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, uh, on that note, I chose relief. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Write in if you've got any suggestions about recipes that you can... Uh, you know, you can, you, Dan can use up some of the two kilos of bacon. <laughs> Aside from bacon sandwiches. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's goodbye from right. me then. <laughs> it's goodbye from me. See you guys in the shop. <laughs> bye bye.